as it brings the words up. Thanks, bro. I'm giving it to Craig. Can you give the mic to Craig, please? Okay. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Just a really brief announcement as well that I want to remind you guys of. Um, I have your emails, those of you who send me your emails, either via email itself or via the devotional wall. Thank you very much. What I'm going to do is next Sunday send out an email with the list of emails I have. It's really important that I have your email. Like, Kame, welcome back, if I can get your email as well. If I don't have your email, it's actually really important because the beginning of the year on January 6th, we are sending out a gift. The church leadership have purchased a gift that we want to give you and we want to bless you. And the only way you actually can access this gift is if it's by, via email. You'll get given something. I will send out an email on Sunday, which will give you a bit of an explanation as to what you're going to be looking for and what's going to happen on January 6th. That'll happen next Sunday. If you don't receive that email, either check your spam, check your blocked email, because you've blocked my emails, I don't know. Uh, but check the blocked email, check your spam, check your junk. Um, that sounds really bad. But check your junk mail. Check your junk mail. And then, and then if, if, if you did not receive that email address, it's not because I have excluded you. It's because I don't have your email address. So it is absolutely important that you get to me so that on Sunday, Sunday may be a little bit too late. On, on Sunday, January 6th, that's when you receive it. You'll receive an email. So I need to have it before then, please. Actually, before that Thursday. So I need it by Wednesday, which will be January, what, 6th, 4th, whatever, 3rd, 3rd, January 3rd, I think. January 2nd, thank you. So that's what's going to be happening, all right? Can I, can I get you guys to do that? So please, um, on the computer there where Sandy is right now, I have the list of all the emails I do have. If you can just go have a look. If your email is not there, put it down, okay? So that's on there. Well, oh, yeah, it's... So that's on, yeah, so have a look at it. So yeah, there you go. If you can see your email there, then I am impressed. Um, I, do, I do have, yeah, that's, it's, this is what it'll look like. It's not, I don't expect you to look at it there, cause, um, but um, on the computer here, come and see me. I'll be at the computer, and we can scroll through to make sure that we have it, all right? That's just, to, you know, that those are the ones I have. The ones, the ones in red are the ones that are confirmed. The ones in blue are the ones I'm unsure about, and the ones that aren't there are the ones I don't have. So... That's what we're going to be doing, all right? So, I'm going to open in a word of prayer. And after opening a word of prayer, I'm going to invite my brother Craig. Well, not straight away. I'm going to talk some more first. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we get together here as your people to worship, to recognize that you are God, that you are our Lord, that you are our Savior, and that you are our friend. We thank you for this time of year, and I pray that you will help us to focus on what Christmas time is really about. Um, that you'll help us to direct our conversations with those around us as well to the reason for Christmas, and that is you. And I pray that as we look into your word today, you might soften our hearts, you might convict our hearts, you might help us to see and understand what you're trying to teach us through the scriptures this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today, 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 we, uh, we're, it's sort of slight different tack. Can I get the, the, the thing, please? It's a slightly different tack from the lessons in discipleship we've been looking at. So the lessons of discipleship we've been looking at has just touched on a number of different truths on how we can emulate the example Jesus gives us in the Gospels about how we disciple others. But discipleship in and of itself really is, is only as effective if, one, we actually exercise it and step out, but these observational facts 
three observational facts are observations that we can apply in our life as we're not only a disciple, but as we live and walk on our Christian journey. Because observations, I'm actually one of the basic principles of studying, studying the Bible of homiletics or hermeneutics. One of the first things that you do is that of observation. What is the Scripture saying? Then you interpret what the Scripture says, and then, then you apply what the Scripture says. But three observational facts is, is very basic because there are things that happened earlier on this week, or last week, sorry, later, earlier on last week, where a brother asked me, he says, can you speak at the, the, the school lunchtime group? And I said, yeah, sure, bro. Um, that's fine. And, and so he gave me a piece of scripture and said, can you share from this? And I was like, yeah, right, all right. So I, I read it, and what was a great blessing is that as I read it, I just said, you know, I praise his Lord, can you show me something? And there were three observations that were made, just like that, bang, bang, bang. Just, that's awesome. And these are the three observations that I want to share with you this morning as well, because I think they're very applicable to us, not only how we disciple, but how we live. I mean, you can recognize things just like that. For example, you take one look at me, What's the first thing you notice? I have no hair. I see that every day. What's the first thing you notice when you, when you look outside this building? You see Grace Christian Church. You might just see a building, but there are certain things that you observe that identify it as being a church building because there's a sign that says Grace Christian Church. There's a number of different things, and, and it's a matter of whether we are observing these things around us. So I'm going to ask Craig... If you could share with us this morning, he's going to read with us from Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 11. It's not going to be up there. Verse 11 down to verse 18. All right. Uh, Matthew 2, 11. On coming to the house, they saw the, children, the ch- they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They escaped to Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time they had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Thank you very much for that, Craig. Amen. Amen. So these are the three observable facts that I took from actually three verses from that passage. Those three verses are Matthew's 2, 13 through to 15. And from this passage, I want to look at these three observable facts. Observation number one, really basic, really, really basic, God communicates. God communicates. Uh, in verse 13a, it says this, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. And I know this fact has been addressed by myself and other preachers throughout the years, but in a world where the non-existence of God is championed with a passionate vigor, an argument often put forward to discredit the Christian in our faith and to make us look crazy is by directing such arguments as the silence of God. How do you know God's talking to you? What do you think God is saying? How is God working? How does God communicate? 
which relegates God's communication with his people to the realm of myth, delusion, or insanity. But straight away, such reasoning is, only, is stating only, sorry, is stating that they are only seeing communication as one thing. They are only viewing communication as one thing, and that is via verbal communication. But you and I know that there's a lot of ways to communicate outside of the verbal realm. Now, granted, communicating verbally is one of the most effective and primary means by which God does. And you see this all throughout the Scriptures. But you know, you know in relationships you have and friendships that you share, the things that are communicated just with a look. You know the look? Like if your wife is upset with you and she gives you the look and you're like, oh, wow, that's too far. Or, or you, you might have a tone of voice. Someone says something. And it's amazing how a tone can communicate something as well. It communicates an attitude. It communicates something going on. You notice how that happens as well. You, you notice how you might get a stance when somebody, you walk in and you say hello and someone's like this. You're thinking, okay, someone's on the defensive. Someone's like this. Someone's aggressive. Jolene's defensive right now. She's like, no, just kidding. Okay, so, so is Andrew Wong. <laughs> but even, even that look there, see, Andrew, the, the, the expression on a face. Yeah, there are so many other ways. You have people who communicate via sign. That's about the only sign I know. Oh, I know this. I know this is, as, 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 that means good. That's about all I know. Okay, you can learn on YouTube. That was one video, the only video I looked at, actually. All right, but... There are so many ways in which communication is done via illustration, via song, via sign language, via expressions, whatever it might be. There is a number of ways in which communication is done. Communication is manifest in so many various ways, hence the truth of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, which says this. I haven't got it up there. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways ways. That is the first thing. God has always been about communication. He has always been desiring to express his heart. He has always been wanting to contact and communicate to his people, whether it may have been audibly, where he spoke to his people. Look at Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. What does he do? Not only does he communicate, he calls out. He says, Adam, where are you? Moses in Exodus 3, when he's walking and there's a burning bush and is calling out to his name, Moses. Um, Zacharias in Luke chapter 1, when he's in the temple. Mary in Luke chapter 2, in her home. He speaks through dreams, whether he spoke to Joseph in Genesis 37 and spoke to him a number of different times, whether he spoke to Pharaoh in Genesis 41, when he gave Pharaoh dreams, communicating as to what was going to take place. Whether it was actually Joseph in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, when he was actually told what to do with Mary through an angel. Or, or even Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, which we just read about being warned to go elsewhere. We hear that he speaks through angels, as we've seen. Uh, and as the verse says in Hebrews 1, 1, he speaks through the prophets. The likes of Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Nathan, when he challenges David in his sin, Samuel, when he, when he, he champions for the people and, and communicates to God on behalf of the people when they cry out for a king, whether it be John the Baptist, Holder, or Deborah, the, the female prophets that are listed, even the kings, the likes of David and Solomon, there is no shortage in ways by which God communicated with his people. 
and if he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then that God who communicated then still communicates now, still communicates today. It's a matter of whether we, one, are in tune to his voice, or two, we're actually listening. So, one, whether we're in tune with his voice, as simple as this, you need to be a Christian. To be able to hear clearly the voice of God, you need to actually know who God is. That you've been brought to this place in your own life of understanding how much God loves you, how you are separated from him, how that separation can only be bridged through what Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus Christ. And that by trusting in him, you not only have your sin forgiven, you are born again of the Spirit of God being birthed into his family. And as you're being birthed into his family, what happens? You become in tune with his voice. You are no longer of the world, you're of the Spirit. You are no longer of of, of this earth, you are of heaven. You are no longer a citizen belonging to the king of darkness. Now you are a, a citizen of heaven who belongs to the prince of peace. That all takes place. And you won't be in tune with him until then. Why? Because we are told in the scriptures that the flesh is an enemy of the spirit. And that, that the, the spirit or the flesh will never understand the things of the spirit. We're told that in the Romans. And that's the reason why so many people today, when you share with them the gospel and the truth of the gospel, what are we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? That the preaching of the cross to those that are perishing is foolishness. They don't understand it. Why? Because they are not of the Spirit. They are not in tune with Him. Until there is an awakening of the Spirit of God within their lives, they will always be on the altar. This is why prayer for your unsaved friends and family is so important. Because you cannot, you cannot influence them with the spiritual message because they are not spiritually inclined. You cannot reach out to their hearts and and have a message transform them because they are hard to that. And we are told that the devil plucks out the seed of the gospel, the, the good news that's planted. Why? Because he doesn't want them to know Jesus. That's why. That's why it's so important. Well, see, it's like me not having the capacity to understand. Like if I come to your house and you're speaking Cantonese or, or you're speaking Mandarin or, or Hokkien or whatever it is, I'm listening and I'm just like, huh. Now I can try to guess. I can try to guess why through other means of communication. I might, I might watch your attitude. You know, if I see you speaking in Mandarin to your, to, to your, your children and you're like this, I'm thinking, someone's in trouble. If I see somebody that's sort of like speaking and they embrace, I'm thinking, oh, what a good boy. You know what I mean? Yeah, but but I'm, I'm always going to be on the outer. Why? Because I'm not. Well, I don't speak Mandarin. I don't speak Cantonese. Okay? But this is the reason why there's an elaboration for this uh, the second part, the, elabor- the elaboration of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. And to be in tune with who God is is so important because in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 1 it says this he has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe you see this isn't being exclusive this is not being discriminatory it's a statement of fact that to understand or to participate begins with us perhaps us humbling ourselves in order to tune in with something far greater than us that is beyond us physically to attain that's what grace is where he reaches beyond 
to bring us up to his level. That's the first thing, to be in tune with what he's saying. It, it has to start off with you being a Christian, being born again through faith in Jesus Christ. But secondly, as a Christian, whether we are actually listening. We are told in the scriptures by Jesus himself that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. So why is it that a lot of us as the flock of God, as the children of Jesus Christ, why is it then that we don't hear his voice or that we don't recognize his voice? Maybe because we're unfamiliar with it. Maybe we don't know what's being said. I know this for a fact that when I was growing up, I would always be able to hear my dad scream. When he would yell out, Joey, Joey. I was like, oh, I knew that when my dad called, I recognized his voice. And once again, the tone of his voice, how loud it was said, would often determine, okay, I'm in trouble. That's usually what happens. So it is. When I call my kids, I always had a particular call. I, and you guys who have known us for a while, when I used to shackle my kids in the back of the van, it's, uh, that's, what, that's what you guys used to call it. Yeah, um, but I would just yell out, my chillin', my chillin'. And my kids always knew, that's dad. That's dad. So why then do we fail to recognize the communication of our God or misunderstand the context of that communication? For example, so I'm Psalm 1. And Sometimes, sometimes there are certain words that I can say in Psalm 1 which have no understanding whatsoever. So, if I said, Sal, would you understand what I'm saying? No? Sal. Okay. If I said, say, uh, Awa, Awa, would you know what that means? No? Nofalalu. <laughs> Nofalalu. Uh, all right, so, I'm not teaching you Psalm 1, I'm just saying, all right, nofalalu, okay. Now, if I, added, if I added another context to that communication, then you're able to identify. For example, so, so, what does that mean? Come here. Awa. Stop or don't. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Sit down. Sit down. All right. Yeah. So once you add something to that, right, it makes more sense, correct? So it is when it comes to the idea or the ability to hear what God is saying. Sometimes God speaks to us not only through a primary means like, say, a preaching of the Word or spending time in the Word or spending time in His presence in prayer. Maybe there are other factors that contribute for us to clearly identify what He is saying at a particular time. Maybe it's a circumstance that you're in at that particular moment. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a song that you hear that God speaks to your heart with. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's just a fellowship with a saint when somebody shares something with you from the Scriptures. Maybe you're able to identify what God is saying or listen more intently when you're able to identify what God is doing in the circumstances and in the situation that you are going through in order to communicate clearly to us His heart and His desire in our journey with Him. Does that make sense? You see, God is not limited in how he communicates. If God can communicate to a guy speaking through a donkey, if God can speak to a guy in a bush that is burning up with a flame, if, if God can speak from a cloud of fire or a pillar of smoke, if God can speak through a dream, then do you think God is limited in how he communicates to us? No, but 
But what he speaks to us has to, in order to be clear, has to match up with what's in here. It has to. If it, doesn't, if it doesn't match up to what's in here, then all it is is somebody's opinion that you're trying to communicate to me and say, it's from God. Well, no, no. We are called to be wise and to discern using the scriptures as to, as to what is of him and what is not. So everything that takes place, you and I must sit there and say, okay, we must be like the Bereans, the Bereans who actually spend time in the scriptures. It says they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. You know what they were doing? They were questioning Paul. When Paul went and taught, they said, okay, I understand what you're saying. Let me check it out to see whether it's legit or not. See, that's the proviso. That's right. Yes, God is not limited in how he speaks. God is not limited in how he communicates to us. No, but if it does not line up with the truth of Scripture, then it's not of him. You must be able to do that. There is always, there is always, okay? And if there's two things involved, I remember a, a brother shared with me years ago, and I think I shared with this years ago myself. If you have five people in the room and a Bible, either the people are wrong, and the Bible's right, or the Bible's wrong, and all the people are right. Now, I'm betting that the Bible isn't wrong. I'm betting that God is faithful to His Word. And I'm betting if you have five different people with five different opinions that walk to the Scriptures and walk away with five different ideas, well, I think the issue is with them, not with the Scriptures. Because we are told in the Scriptures that there is no prophecy of Scripture given for any private interpretation. We're told that in Peter. Which means that I can't read this and say, I think it says this. And John says, I think it says, no, there's only ever one interpretation. There might be many applications. For example, we're looking at applications today, but there's only one interpretation of what the Scripture says. All right, so that's the first thing. See, this is comforting to know that our God communicates with us. And the only way such a fact, see, when people sit there and say, how, how does God communicate this to you? And you know this in your own life. You know this, I know this in my life, that where there have been situations going on that I, I still remember this quite distinctly last year, that just peace, just peace came all over me. And I prayed and I cried to God and it was just from the tip of my head to the bottom of my feet, I was driving my car and it was just like this big wave that just washed over me and just whew, and I heard, not audibly, but to my heart, God say, it's going to be all right. And I said, it's okay, Lord. Okay. I'll trust you for this. And that's what God did. Can I quantify that? Can I? What do I do with that? Sorry. Can I quantify that? No. But that's the reality of it. And he's, he's not limited. But the only way of knowing that God can communicate to us, that God involves himself with us, is only, is only improved is only improved by this next point. The fact that God instructs. God instructs. See, that's awesome. See, you get a lot of people that can do a lot of talking and say absolutely nothing. Case in point. All right? There's a lot of people that can talk heaps. I, I, I hear people tell questions at school and, and they're going, bang, 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 and they might take two minutes to ask a question and then just like, yeah, so what are you asking? oh, what I'm asking is this, and he says it in three words. I said, well, why didn't you just say that? 
See, this here where you have a lot of people that talk and say nothing, we don't have that with our God. We are told that He not only speaks, He not only communicates with us, but He instructs us. Look at chapter 2, verse 13b. It says this, He said, I like this. So first He says, get up. Then He says, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, God not only speaks, but He instructs, and He instructs specifically. Communication, when it lacks any sort of intent or goal, um, yeah, it, it, it becomes pointless. It just becomes jabber if, if there's no intent or goal to it. We often speak, and like I know, I know I do this. I do this often, that when I have general conversation with people at times, it's about absolutely nothing. And we talk, we might, might talk about an app on my phone, and we might talk about a basketball game that we watch. Well, that's not nothing, but we, we talk about a basketball game that we may have watched, but there's, there's no real significance. What do I do when I have those, those trivial type of conversations? Well, more often than not, it's to build a bridge. Build a bridge, maybe to cross over to get something deeper. It might be that. But God in His grace instructs specifically when He talks to his people. See, the joy of being able to hear and recognize and understand the what and the way God is communicating also means we are more adept at identifying the specific instruction toward us. Okay? What I mean by that is this. When I said nofalalo, if you came to my house and my parents said to you nofalalo and you're just standing there, what do I do? But if someone said to you, come and do this, once again, you're able to identify what is being asked of you and you respond accordingly, correct? So it is with the, with the way God works with us. He instructs us and sometimes He gives us a context in which we, a context in which we then can respond accordingly to the instruction that He's given us. And I think that is what's really, really exciting. For example, in the case of Moses, God spoke via the burning bush and instructed him what he wanted to do. I want you to go to Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go. But God instructed him in such a way that also equipped him to be able to do that. Because what did he say? He says, I can't talk. Pharaoh won't listen to me. I don't want to go by myself. He came up with excuse after excuse after excuse. And God in his grace said what? Look, I'm going to send with you your brother, Aaron. Aaron's going to be your mouthpiece. Aaron's going to speak my words on your behalf. I'm going to give you some miracles. Put your hand in your cloak. Take your hand out. It's covered in leprosy. Put it back. Take it out. It's cleansed. Hey, what's that in your hand? It's a staff. Throw it to the ground. It turns to a snake. Pick it back up. It turns back to a staff. I'm giving you all the things. He instructs him specifically as to what he wants him to do so he might fulfill the task that he's given him. Does that make sense? Right? This is what he does. He instructs us in such a way that will equip us for that. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. I like this as well. Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. It says this in verse 6. I'll, I'll start. I'm sorry if, if you're not there yet. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. First two excuses. One, I don't know what to say. Two, I'm a youngster. 
What does God say? In verse 7, he goes, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. I must go to, uh, sorry, you must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. He instructs him in such a way that he equips him to fulfill the task that God has for him. Now, he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And instruction is more than just a thus saith the Lord, as what we hear in the Old Testament prophets over and over and over again, who regurgitate a message that God gives him. Today, what we have right now is the ability to not only reach out to those around us, but be empowered by his spirit, be equipped with his word, be gifted by him to, be, to fulfill the task that God has laid out for us. It's exactly the same way, which means this. If our Lord communicates with us, one purpose being in order to instruct us, then what would certain instruction be for us as followers of Jesus Christ? Our context is different, but the facts are the same. The observable facts are the same. We have been given specific, without question, specific instructions. For example, to go into the world and preach the gospel. Mark Chapter 15, 16, well, 16, 15, sorry. We are called to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We are called to be holy, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 15. We are called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are called to love others as we love ourselves, Mark, chapter 12, 29, and 30. We are to forgive others even as Christ forgave us. Or what does it say? Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And, and over and over and over again, we are given specific instructions as to what we are told or how we are to be as followers of Jesus Christ. It's all laid out. It's all laid out. There are things there that are just black and white. They are clear-cut commandments that you cannot misunderstand and that you cannot read into. For example, being holy, what does that mean? It means be holy, be sanctified. It doesn't mean be pious. There's a difference, all right? Be holy means be set apart. You want the greatest example of someone who is holy? Look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never walked around doing this. Who's got some glasses I can borrow? Calvin, can I borrow your glasses? Oh, yeah, bro, but I, I, my head's fat, so I don't want to be looking. Have you, ever, have you ever seen those people, like they have, I won't do, I, I'm going to stretch them if I put them on my fat head. So have you had people that sort of look down their glasses, like they have them on the end of their nose? When they have them on the end of their nose, they only do that so that when they look at you like this, to make you look, to make you look stupid, sort of like, uh, uh, oh, really, really? <laughs> okay. Sorry, these are really bad, man. You have bad eyesight, eh, bro? So, okay, so. But see, see, being holy isn't about being pious and looking down on people because Jesus Christ was the holiest of, more, of them all and yet children could approach him. 
Not once did Jesus sit there and tell people to get lost. And so that, that, that some of the, some of the, like the, the lower class people, the, the likes of, say, lepers, could approach him and ask for help. That, that prostitutes would, would feel, I mean, yes, they would still feel like adulteresses, would feel condemned in his presence. But what did he do? He, he would raise them up to be much more than that. That's someone that's being holy. Holy doesn't mean pious and unapproachable. Holy means welcoming, this, but yet still set apart. That's, that's, a, that's a clear-cut command. Forgive others. That's a clear-cut command. You cannot read into that. Forgive, I'll only forgive others. I'll only forgive the people that forgive me. I'll only be kind to the people that are kind to me. No, that's not what the Scriptures teach. You cannot misunderstand that. Preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I think that only means, means to certain individuals. No. We come up with 101 excuses not to do the one thing we're told. We, we the, the one reason we should. We are given clear-cut instructions. And as clear-cut and as simple as this may seem, life, especially in the 21st century, we encounter circumstances which may not be so clear-cut. And, and I know this for myself. You might encounter situations that you might think, oh, what does the Bible say about this? What, what, where, where do I look here? Where do I look there? This is, this is what I had to, okay? We, uh, the black and white of the clear-cut commands of the law, for want of a better word, can become blurred by us in the Spirit. We talk about, you know, I live by grace. I can live by grace. I can live how I want because of grace. I can, I can, I can do whatever I want. I can sin however I want because of grace. Very careful. Be very careful with that. These are some of the questions I ask myself, okay? How does this glorify God? The actions, the words that I'm going to say, the the attitudes that I have, how does that glorify God? Because if I'm here to glorify God, whether I eat or drink, I'm to glorify Him, bring glory to Him. How does that glorify God? Hmm. Because if it's not going to bring glory to God, let me talk slower. If it's not going to bring glory to God then perhaps we shouldn't do it. What if, what if we're like, how does this promote the gospel? How does this promote the gospel? How does this uplift Jesus? How does this magnify the person of Jesus Christ? How does this build up my brother and my sister? How does this enable you to be more holy and to be more like Jesus yourself in your life? You've got to ask you those sorts of questions from an eternal perspective as opposed to our own perspective will what i do push people further away from jesus or bring them closer to him maybe there are those sorts of questions because here's the thing the spirit of god will never contradict the word of god the spirit of god will never contradict the word of god why because he wrote it he wrote it we're told that But because the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God, as we live according to the Spirit and not to the law, then you see these actions take place that reflect and and draw people to the person of Jesus Christ. That's what takes place. Does what I do build up or tear down? Will it bless or curse the church? A lot of things to think about. My... uh, Don Hay, I've, I've, I've mentioned that name a few times in sermons, but Don Hay, who was a, a blessed man, I, I, I love him dearly. Um, he'd be in his late 90s now. Don Hay was a missionary in uh, Papua New Guinea for a number of years. I remember him telling me this. 
that he, he often would sit there and say to me, Joe, if you're questioning these things as to whether you should do something or not, then maybe you shouldn't. The fact that you've got to justify doing something, and I think, now my one, it's always sport. I, I really want to go back and play sport, Don. You know, I, I, you know, why? I love playing the game. Yeah, yeah, but why? Like, how does this glorify God? Can you keep your temper when you play rugby? No. Do, do you play in an honorable way? Well, no. Are, are you a fair player? Wow. No. <laughs> and you want to go back and feed your flesh to, 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 to just feel like you're something. And I was like, wow. So the fact that you're trying to justify whether you should do something or not, I think maybe God's saying no, and you're trying to find a way around it. And so that's when I, I, I went to a game and, and I, I stuffed my shoulder so bad it tore the muscle away from my neck and my shoulder blade. And then I was like, okay, Lord, I won't play no more. And I never have. <sighs> anyway, so those are those two points though. Those are those two points. See, the reason such instruction is given and important for us to abide by is because of this third point that God fulfills. Verse 15, where he stayed until the death of Herod and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. The fact that the promises of God are sure and steadfast, which I really loved the choices of song this morning, which talked about the faithfulness and the promises of God. Uh, they are sure and steadfast. The fact that whatever God says, He does. The fact that fulfillment of His word reveals His character and does a numerous thing. No, sorry, does numerous things for us. The fact that He does not lie, that our God is honest, that He is true. That's in Titus chapter one, verse two. It says that God, who cannot lie, in the old King James, that that God. Is faithful, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. That God is love, 1 John 4, 8. See, we have these things demonstrated to us in the person of Jesus Christ. One who is faithful, one who is honest, and one who is love. Does that not comfort you in, in whatever situation that you may be in, whatever situation or breakdown that you might be facing? It brings confidence it brings confidence beyond a wishful hope. It brings confidence knowing that what he says will come to pass because it's grounded in the reality of his very nature. He loves us. Therefore, he keeps his promises. He loves us. Therefore, he keeps his promises. Why? He keeps his promises not, not because he is pure, not because he is holy, not because he is perfect. Those are all part of it. But he loves you. He makes a promise. When you, when you get this, when you get this, when you, get the, when you put that ring on the finger, woo, when you put the ring on the finger, you, you are committing your whole being and you are promising, I am yours. And she is promising, I am yours. And that's it. And you take that. That's a promise that is grounded in love for one another. That's it. This, and, and to think that if you get two people, Pastor John and, and Kathleen, how long have you guys been married for? Wow, that's like forever. That's awesome. 40 years, 40 years. So the time of testing is over. 40 years in the Bible is time of testing. So yeah, 40 years. Okay, time. all right. All right, see, 
But see, that's, that's really cool. See, 40, 40 years, 40 years of commitment that is based on who God is and on the love for Him and love for each other. And, and you see this evident in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You have the very first promise of a deliverer. The very first promise of a deliverer in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Made to Adam and Eve. And it's about how the seed would come forth and crush his heel. Sorry, crush his head. And, and the serpent would, would bite his heel. We are told that. And you know that fulfillment begins? Well, it begins at Christmas time, doesn't it? We read in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He, he is a God that is faithful. He keeps his promises. So that fulfillment, like a thousand odd years later, a few, few thousand years later, you see that fulfillment in the birth of Jesus Christ. Genesis 3.15, right back in the Garden of Eden, bam, here it is now. Why? Because he keeps his promises. He doesn't lie. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what are we told? We are told that we will receive power when the Spirit comes upon us. Yes? Where do we see that fulfillment? You see that fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. You see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where we're told that our bodies are the temple of the living God, that his Spirit dwells within us. We are, we, we are told that he is faithful. If, for example, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, if that is how God closed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Where do you see that fulfillment in Philippians chapter 4, 19? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see those contrasts time and time again. Why? Because he loves you. He is honest and he is faithful. This is our God. These three facts, these three facts, these three observable facts of how God communicates, of how God instructs, and how God fulfills, we can only participate and reap the benefit of such promises, of such facts toward us. Like we still reap them, yes, but they only become fully experienced by us as His people by our obedience. Look at verse 14. So He got up. Go back up to verse 13. He came to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Verse 14, so he got up. Verse 13, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Verse 14, took the child and the mother during the night and left for Egypt. You see what happens there? God communicated to him through an angel in a dream, instructed him specifically, this is what I want you to do. What did he do? He obeyed, and then in verse 13, Sorry, in, in verse 15, what happens? It's fulfilled in his life. I, I know, I know we can often get caught up in this whole, this whole fear of being legalistic when we sit there and go, trust and obey. And, and, we, and, you know, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with being wary of such things. But if obedience is grounded in, in love, if, if obedience is grounded and motivated by your love for God and, and your love for other people, it doesn't become legalistic. It doesn't. None, none of, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I, I like watching Nick and Joe. Nick and Joe, how long have you guys been married for now, bro? Ages. Eight, <laughs> how, how, how long? Eight years, eight years. Now, look, I, I like watching these guys. I, no, I don't, I don't like watch them, watch them. You know, like, okay, I like watching those guys. So, but you, you, see, you, see, you see a relationship. And not once do I think Nick feels like 
Oh, man, I've got to do the kids again. Oh, man, I've got to cook. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, he makes a really nice frittata, by the way. Okay, oh, man, I've got to do this. I've got to, I, I don't think, oh, he may, but from what I see, what I observe, I don't see him do that. You know why? Because he loves his wife. And because he loves his wife, he wants to support his wife by caring for her in whatever way he can and caring for his children in whatever way he can. Not one, of that, not one of those times is the checklist of legalism where he sits there and says, I have to do this because if I don't, my wife will be upset or my children won't listen to me. No, it's because of his love for his wife and kids. This is where this obedience, yes, he fled. Yes, it was for fear, whatever it might be. But he loved his wife and he understood that his God loved him too and had his best interests at heart. See, they're only, effect, they're only affected if we obey. So if, if you're not experiencing the ability to, to hear God speak, then well, maybe are you in his family? If you are in his family and you don't recognize his voice, well, are you spending time with him? Are, are you actually taking time out just to, to dwell in his presence so you are able to recognize his voice? That as he communicates, which he desires to do and continually do in your life, he desires to communicate his heart's desire to you. And as he communicates that to you, he wants to instruct you. He wants to instruct you so you know how to live and what way to live and what to do. And as you do this, as you obey God's instruction as he communicates, God is faithful to fulfill all he has promised in your life. See, this is what it means to have a a, a mutual, we, we often view the Christian life as, as being separate from God, that, that God being up here and, and, and I do this, and, and then if I step out of line, God's like, pow, no, Joe. And I do this, pow, no, Joe. No, 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 no. Uh, the Christian life, Christian life I, this is what I've discovered in the 27 years of, of being a Christian. Uh, I've learning, even now just recently learning, um, that it's more, it's more like this as God comes alongside me and moves me in the direction as I yield to him. And as I yield to him, he moves me and he guides me and he directs me so he might fulfill his word in my life. And that's pretty exciting. And so I, I would encourage you, I would encourage you that these ob observational facts be more than just observational, but livable that these be things that you and I, we ought to recognize, identify, and live. So I'm not going to ask for the music team to come up. Um, what I am going to do is that before I pray, before I pray, I did have one question I wanted to ask, which I forgot to ask at the beginning of the, the sermon. Who, who messaged the person that they sat next to last week? Did anybody message Nick, Pastor John? You did? That's cool. That's cool. All right, all right. Okay, okay. We're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage you that if you didn't, pray for them and send them a message, just to let them know they're being thought of. Okay. Uh, so let's not be like that person who like hears everything, takes it in, and then walks away. Let's not be as James calls a man who looks in the mirror, walks away, and forgets what type of person he was when he leaves. Let's not be like that. Okay, so um, I'm going to pray. Um, if you want to be prayed for as well, please come on up. I'm sure some of the prayer team will come up 
and we'll pray together. So I'm going to pray. We'll give thanks for the meal. And then let's enjoy each other's fellowship this afternoon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that you're a God that is involved in each of our lives, that you communicate to us in so many different ways. And I pray you might help us to to be able to identify how you communicate, whether it be through your word, whether it be through your people, whether it be through situations and circumstances, whether it be through a devotional, whether it be by your spirit prompting us. Father, give us the ability to not only realize that you understand, but that we might recognize you when you do speak. Uh, Also, Lord, that we might, as we recognize, to be able to take on board the instructions you give us. Help us to be courageous enough that as you convict us of sin within our own lives, to respond accordingly, to actually deal with such sin so that we might truly live holy and fulfill the call you have placed on each of our lives. And Father, that we might trust obediently, knowing that you are a God that fulfills your promises. Thank you that you fulfilled your promise of deliverance in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came to this earth clothed in human flesh, lived a perfect life, died a cruel death and rose again the third day so that we might be accepted into your family. So Father, we commit ourselves to you now. And for the food that you've provided, I thank you so much, Lord, for everyone just getting alongside and and being able to share this meal. That in our time of fellowship, we might truly enjoy one another's company and truly enjoy the fellowship that we have been blessed with, with each other here. And we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. Don't forget our Christmas service, Tuesday.